Welcome to the Circuit Clouds podcast. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Surprise everyone fire. here. Purveyors of fine fake baseball since 20 years ago today. That's right, April 16th. We're recording this on April 16th, 2023. April 16th, 2003 was the very first opening day of the United League. So we mixed it up there with uh, with some happy birthday music. So to all of our founding GMs, I think that would be me, Charlie, and Lance are the only three that were around for that um, first opening day. You know, we only had eight teams. Glenn came in. I think you came in in the middle of 52. Is that right? You were yep, pretty yep. pretty early on. Yep. yep. Um, so I have some firsts here. Uh, the first hit in league history. I'm going to guess it was a Louisville Colonel. It's not a bad guess, but the answer was it was Gus Zerniel of the Boston Beacons. Far out. Also, the first RBI was Mickey Mantle of the Boston Beacons. Dude. So that's kind of, he also had the first home run. Uh, he hit a three run double in the first inning, he had a solo homer in the sixth inning. And Boston was uh, the Boston Beacons. That was, uh, of course, Charlie's team before they moved to Cleveland. And the other fun fact, first ejection was Charlie Qualls of the Boston Beacons. He was ejected in the fifth inning. Get this, arguing a caught stealing call. So oh, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So Charlie going with the aggressive base running from literally day one and getting ejected over it. So I thought that was entertaining. I sent a link to this in the Circuit Clouds uh, channel for those who are interested in reading about the first few games. Joining us today, in case you haven't heard already, LA Outlaws GM, Peter Vase. Hello, Peter. Hey, good evening. Was that the last Charlie team that tried to hit? (laughs) Oh, zing. (laughs) Oh, it's a preview. Okay. Uh, Yeah, we haven't gotten to the countdown yet. So (laughs) save your remarks. And also joining us, St. Louis GM and many multi-time United League champion, although not recently. Oh, double zing. <laughs> double zing. <laughs> Glenn Reed. Hello, Glenn. Yo, yo, yo. So uh, we are heading into the 1988 season, our 38th season and our fifth season since we've gone up to 16 teams. First, our, our formal congratulations to uh, Mark Weller. Uh, Washington Monuments GM for his World Series title. If you look at the recent history of that team, like when he took over, they were like a big mess. So that was quite kind of like a rags to riches story over the five or six years that he's been there at Washington. So congrats, Mark. I'll stay silent on that. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably for the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Oh, the other fun fact about that, Mark, I think is the, I think Mark is the 10th GM in the league who has won the league, but I assume that it's unusual that there's a league of 16 GMs where 10 of them have won the league. So that was exciting to see. Uh, I'm always happy when a new GM wins. That doesn't mean I'm happy that Glenn loses all the time. <laughs> Those are two different but you things. could take it that way. You I mean, could take it. You could take it that way. One could take it that way. One could take it that way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have confidence that Glenn will win the World Series again one of these days, someday, um, and maybe someday. this is the year. Oh, um, we'll see. We'll see. That's a big shout. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before we get started, I thought we would do. Um, so Glenn's done his usual. Uh, Ratings count, very deliberate, very intentional, very focused effort this morning, I understand. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, Forgive the math errors, dude. We found a yeah. few rudimentary math errors already, so. Yeah, 
So our our, our condolences to Chicago. Who <laughs> <laughs> moved way down the ranking? Yeah, yeah, which we initially, due to an accounting error, um, the Colts were actually uh, predicted to be quite good, and it turns out not so much. So yeah, yeah. So again, trying yeah. to limit the spoilers here. But we thought we would start with an assessment of the of Glenn's predictions, and then the in game predictions. With the huge caveat here that these are two very different things. The main difference being that the the in-game productions or the BNN predictions, they often come out at, this year that came out at a completely random time. It was like March 3rd or something. It was the beginning of spring training and the game spits out, here's the predictions. And I'm like, usually that doesn't happen until April opening day, right? Or the eve of opening day. Yeah, so, right after spring training sometime. Yeah, usually it's after spring training. So, and in fact, that's usually why I, have people turn in their opening day rosters the day before opening day, because in the past it's, you know, you, you click the game to April 1st and it runs through all the preseason stuff and that's when it does the predictions. So I'm sure this will come up when we get to LA. Um, Peter has some thoughts on this process. I know. Um, but just as an overview, we went back over the predictions over the last four years since expansion, so 84, 85, 86, 87. So there have been, that's the era of six playoff teams. So there have been 24 playoff teams in the last four years. And just at the aggregate level, the BNN predictions have gotten 18 out of 24. And Glenn has gotten 19 out of 24. So good, oh, yes. good job, Glenn. Just, wow. yep, just yep. One, one in front, 79%. You've, you've predicted 79% of the playoff teams. Uh, the end game only seventy five percent. Here's a here's a cool fun fact though. The end game predictions that the if you if you just look at the top of those like the top teams, the end game predictions are one hundred percent when it comes to the top three. And Glenn is one hundred percent when it comes to the top four. So in other words, every team that Glenn has predicted to finish in the top four has actually made the playoffs. In other words, they finished in the top six so the other thing that we should point out is that a lot of these near misses are like so 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 glenn has missed five playoff teams five out of the 24 two of those were teams that you picked to come in seventh and it's and probably in a couple of those cases they were like virtually tied on ratings points so we're not gonna hold that against you the same with the in-game projections three of the six misses were teams that the game picked to come in seventh and then just one final note the two biggest kind of an anomalies were 1984 Washington was picked by both BNN and Glenn to come in 11th. And of course they ended up coming in fifth. So that was a huge, um, that was, that's one of the biggest misses. The other one was Glenn in 84, you picked notoriously picked Brooklyn 15th and they came in sixth. So I know your ratings have a long history of kind of underrating Brooklyn, but that was, yep. Uh, yeah. missed it by nine slots and they actually made the playoffs. So, and then of course, San Francisco in a couple of years ago, 86, that, that they were the big Cinderella team. They were picked, predicted 12th by both systems and ended up coming in sixth. So Glenn, anything you want to add about the predictions? I mean, this is where we usually do our cat standard caveats and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a super simple counting system. So the fact that a super simple counting system can get you, you know, can go four for four on the, or yeah, can nail the top teams. And, and also you didn't look at the other end, but 
I think it's also been very good at the bottom with the exception of Brooklyn. Right. So, so, so it is really good. So there's a few things I think that are maybe off or that may be interesting to think about. And it might be like stadium effects. I don't really, you know, because I don't have any input, right? There's nothing in my system that accounts for stadium effects. Right. And that could be an answer why Brooklyn would be consistently so good because he's built around, you know, like a single stat, which is contact and he discounts the others, but I weight them all equally. So therefore he scores low, but his stadium also maximizes contact. So, so I could like make up some reasons why, or I could, posit i guess some theories why my system would consistently undercount certain teams or maybe overcount others but um mm-hmm. but uh but i think it's pretty good for what it is right i mean it, you know it can account for things like if people make trades right like usually i think one of the mm-hmm. ways that i've missed is in the past i've i've had montreal i think consistently like around the playoff zone like seven or eight let's say pretty consistently in the in past years but then, like, if they get off to a slow start, Joe is fairly quick to pull the plug, right? And so then if he starts trading away guys, then that obviously, you know, he underperforms my initial rating count. So so there's certain things I can't really account for. And, you know, we're, we're doing our best, right? I mean, it's just t- talking points, I guess, right? Yeah. So what I think I heard you say is that Joe Lima is the Jack Kevorkian of the UL. <laughs> he pulls the plug he definitely that, pulls the plug yeah, that, yeah, yeah. so we're going to go with that yeah uh my other nickname for him was going to be portugal the man but um dude but nice you can have more than one nickname right um, yeah, yeah 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 all right uh pete do you have any comments on the on the like when you do your when you do your scouting i know this is like the fourth or fifth time you've joined us like what is your i know you you don't maybe you do some rankings on your own or like are there specific things that you look at when you try to assess teams so i do do rankings but i don't do it the way glenn does them since he's doing that so mine is just gut feel i just look at the teams and try to figure out which ones i think are are built the best to win now Uh, and i don't know how close i've gotten to to reality i don't think we've gone back and listened to the old podcasts and figured out how the other gms do um Buying Glenn's rankings, you know, they they pretty much nail it. I mean, at the end of the day, usually the highest ranking teams are the best teams. So they end up winning, barring large injuries, large trades, and, you know, some wacky seasons. Baseball's a long season, so eventually, you know, the numbers bear out. Got it. So your approach is gut instinct combined with leaving no paper trail. So <laughs> every, Brilliant. You, you, have, you have an unassailable record. Why am I publishing my results? I mean, I should not be publishing my findings. Dude. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. These rankings will self-destruct after after, <laughs> right, after, right. after the podcast. Right. Um, I actually have the papers right in front of me now. And oh my just, gosh. Get shredded as soon as I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Without any further ado, we'll use the same format as we've done before. Um, well, let me start by saying... Uh, you know, the season summary last year, um, I, I, I think the headline was Fortress Uelicus or something like that, where I said that, you know, there's six teams that have kind of dominated the league. St. Louis, L.A. and Detroit have made the playoffs like every single year for it seems like forever. So and then the other more recent teams that are kind of joined that elite group, Manhattan, Atlanta, 
and Washington. Those 16s account for like 85% of playoff teams in the last five years, something like that. So I thought one way of starting this is like, okay, so we we know there's an elite tier and we know that there's a, a tier of like contenders that have a shot at making the playoffs and some are more, you know, more favored than others. And then there's a tier of kind of like we're either calling no hopers or rebuilding teams. Some in, sometimes that, I'm not going to name names, but that's kind of a misnomer because not not all of the no hoper teams are rebuilding. It seems like that there's this you know that that's called the third tier. But among the third tier, there's even a lower tier. Um, we'll, we'll call this the Waffle House brothers or the the no hopers of the no hopers. Like when when Glenn did the ratings, we kind of looked at the distribution of the numbers and. Kind of, it turned out that there's a fourth tier of a couple of teams that are, by the rankings anyway, far below the rest. And one of them, if by, by the BNN rankings, Cleveland is 12 games back. The, the, the game has them predicted to go 60 and 102, which is pretty close to what they were last year. Um, and a full 12 games worse than the next team. So we'll start with Cleveland maybe we could start with like, what is the biggest weakness? What's the first thing that, that, that should be addressed that would help help the team get back on track? The thing is, the guy's team scores low in every dimension. That's how you get to be the bottom of the rank, and that's how you get to be whatever it is, 12 games worse than any other team. But, um, but, but I mean, there's a reason for that, and the reason for that is that he is building through the draft, and he now has put together McGrain and Glavin, Smoltz, Leiter, and Sergio Valdez, who is essentially the right-handed version of what of, of Lurch, right? Of like what Randy Lurch maybe could have been. You know, he's a super high control, decent stuff and movement guy. So. So he has like maybe the best five pitching prospects that he's had since like 73 or whenever it was, you know, he had that, you know, it was like Russell Richards, Hooten, right? Those was his big three. Jim Palmer. I don't know if Jim Palmer's in the Hall of Fame or he's close, but that was like his fourth or fifth starter, right? So so he, he's he's definitely following the like 73 model. And if you think about that team, the offense was horrible, but the defense, you know, the pitching was really was exceptional. And then the defense was good. And he has the same thing here. He, he's got quite a good defense. You know, he signed Burleson. He's got Ramos playing second. I think Ramos is like a legitimate shortstop, but he's got him at second where he's even better. So, so, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's going back to his roots, right? Like quality when in doubt, go with what, you know, and what qualities you know, always done is, is shoot for the best starting staff. And I think he has the nucleus now. I mean, that would be my take. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, that's why I asked if he's ever built for hitting before because the started to the podcast was the first time I heard a Charlie team actually hitting. So, but no, I mean, he's building the same formula, great pitching, great defense. Um, so I, if he's got a hole, he's got to start filling because there's got to be some offense on the team. Right. It's you can't win every game one to zero, two to one. So, but otherwise, I mean, I think he's doing a really good job job drafting and building the formula that he's comfortable with. Yeah. The other thing that he did was uh, I know he's a big fan of the the Braves rotation in the 90s. So he complete he, he did the Maddox trade and now he has Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. So that's cool. Totally uh, cool. That combination. And those aren't even the best guys, right? Because he's got lighter, like you mentioned. Um, Valdez came out of nowhere. This guy, Bill Wegman, who he got from, I think, Boston, 
looks really good. Um, but yeah, he's he's obviously these guys are still got a lot of cooking to go. Maddox is already kind of cratered. It'll probably be nothing more than a fifth starter, which is very unfortunate. But a lot of these other guys have a ton of potential. Yeah, I mean, Maddox is back to 18 potential. I mean, he's 20. Maybe he reaches 19 and he's a decent starter. Yeah, I don't think that's, I've never seen any, like a, a V, you know what I mean? Like where ratings start high, go low, and then come all the way back. I've never seen it. But, but I mean, we've seen some pretty amazing or drastic ratings movements this offseason, which I'm sure we'll get to. So, yes, you yes, know, who knows? Yeah. Yes, we yeah. Or when we switch to 20 uh, to 24. We'll probably transition to the, this is probably our last season in OOTP 22 because we've been doing about three months real time per season and then it gets us to July and that's about when we would transition to the new game. The only thing I was going to add is just that Qualsey is not his own best friend in the sense that he puts out such a good defensive team that even though his team is extremely, you know, low, you know, the lowest rated he doesn't always pick first, right? He ends up picking second or third because the, he gets leverage off his defense. And so other teams, who, which are higher rated, but have horrific defense, you know, blow past him. And that's what happened last year with Brooklyn. And that could happen again because Brooklyn's defense when we get there is also quite poor. So so I feel like Okwalzi's like doing himself a disservice. Like, like the single most effective tanking technique is just to play shitty defense, right? And, and Qualsey does the opposite <laughs> of that. What do we feel about the Smoltz pick at number two? Uh, the, just, just for context, Randy Johnson went number one, and then Cleveland took Smoltz. The next three picks were Schilling, Mark Grace, and Eric Hansen. Was Smoltz the best pick? Was that a sentimental Bozo pick on some level, or was does he merit going number two? Both. Like I guess he needed to take Smoltz to complete that Braves rotation, and he's got the talent to be number two. Um, I don't know if Cleveland necessarily needed more pitching. So I think Mark Grace would have been a nice pick too, but I mean, you're not going to blame anyone for picking an 888 potential who's, you know, on his way to getting there. He's not starting too low, too low on the ratings and he's not old. He's 19. So yeah, he definitely can't blame him. He's both um, younger than Schilling and more cooked than Schilling. So I think if you're just comparing those two, Smoltz was probably the, the right pick. Although, Schilling is the number one rated prospect in the league and Smoltz is number eight. So, but I think that has, again, Schilling's a little more undercooked. And, and Schilling got an upgrade, I think. Yeah. How nice is that? The second best <laughs> pitcher in the draft. Yep. And then he gets better. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So good job there too, Joe, for uh, picking up Kurt Schilling with the number three. Now let's move on. Number 15 on our list, the Brooklyn Superbas, who basically had a Total collapse. They won 21 fewer games, 58 and 104. I think it was the worst year in the team's history. So, Glenn, again, is this the same story? Are they just a bad across the board? Or they have, like last year, they were ninth in offense and 16th in pitching. So, um, it looks like they've at least got some some hitting going. Well, again, I could be wrong because I my eyes were half shut when I did this, but I actually have Brooklyn with the lowest rated offense that that's behind even Cleveland. So, so no, I don't think he's going to improve. And, and his defense also is the second worst. He has the second worst up the middle and the second worst overall. So, which again, he, I mean, that's a, that's a tanking strategy, right? So the, the worse your defense is, the worse you're going to pitching is going to perform. And therefore, 
the better, you know, the higher your pick's going to be. But in a sense, we could, everything we just said about quals and the pitching, well, it's also true for this guy, right? I mean, he's got Randy Johnson, he's got Kevin Brown, he's got David Cohn. So, I mean, like, come on, those three, you know, if they come home, if they develop, that's incredible, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, if, if, if you look at Miami's rotation, I would argue that Brooklyn's pitching prospects are even scarier. Listen to this. This is his. This is the Miami Flamingos rotation. Kevin Brown, Randy Johnson, David Cohn, Ramon <laughs> Martinez, Tim Belcher. Oh my God! Well, he has a number one farm. Uh, so he I does have well. Yeah, he's got Wells yeah. as his number five starter. So he's brought him oh, up. Yeah. He's brought up Wells because he's four seven seven. But yeah, that's the other thing. He has the number one, uh, the number one rated farm system by quite a by quite a measure. Three hundred thirty six points. That's a hundred over a hundred points more than the next best team. So. Um, he's got one, two, three, four, five of the top 16 prospects and four of them are pitchers. So that's a little crazy. That's amazing. He's got Julio Franco. He's got a couple of hitters. Landro's still going strong Four war last year. This is where I have to like, uh, this is where I interject with the worst cleanup hitter in the league. <laughs> Mike <laughs> Kingery. A guy, yes. It's a guy I didn't even know. I forgot was even drafted. He was the 41st pick a few years ago. His ratings are six eight four four. He slugged four fifty two in the minors last year, which I mean he he's more of a on base kind of contact guy, not really known for his power. Um, but yeah, I think what I this is what I'm predicting. I think he's putting he writes down Mike Kingery in the lineup, and as he's writing it, he's fantasizing Ken Griffey Jr. Because <laughs> one yeah, year from yeah. now, one year from now, yeah, with that, you know, coming 16th, get the number one pick, Ken Griffey Jr. is in the draft next year. So, uh, you know, that could be like some forward projection going on. Mike Kingery was a really bad, like, backup outfielder for the Giants. I mean, that's yes, <laughs> that's was. how I know Mike Kingery. I feel like, wasn't he the guy? In fact, Tim, I think you might have been. Wasn't he the guy who ran face first at full speed into the fence? No, that was um, Jim Weaver. That oh, was Jim, Jim Weaver. Weaver. Well, Kingery yeah. Weaver. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Who was never heard from again. That was that might have been his only major league appearance, but it's yeah, very memorable. Yeah. Very memorable. Yeah. Um, Base planet candlestick. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. So that we, now we now that we've touched on Brooklyn and Chicago, so our condolences and congrats to those teams. Um, for because one thing I noticed here, I just wrote down the minor system rankings, and as you would expect, the teams towards the bottom of the predictions also tend to have the, the best, the better uh, minor league system. So those tend to go hand in hand, like uh, current, current ratings versus uh, future ratings. And the next team, Chicago is case in point. Cause they're number two. They have the number two rated uh, farm system. They also, I think arguably had the most turnover in the off season. So they already traded, was it Lloyd Mosby the year before? Um, yep. And one other guy. And then last year they traded or in the offseason, Tim Raines, Teddy, who's their probably their best hitter, Teddy Higuera, probably their best starter, Will Clark, who is probably their best hitting prospect. But then he got in return, uh, John Cruck, Mickey Rivers, you know, some good infield pieces, Dillard and Flannery. They were 14th in batting, 12th in pitching last year, and they tied for 12th overall. He, he also traded a little unknown shortstop named Robin Young. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. It was in the middle of the season, yeah. though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right. So basically, he's dismantled the team 
I think his strategy is just like, just let's just flip over the entire roster and kind of yeah. try again. Well, I think it, they were good, right? If you go back to when he first joined the league, didn't they make the playoffs his first year? Yeah. Right? Yeah. His second yeah, year, yeah. 80, 85. Yeah. 91 wins in 85. Okay. Yeah. And so then I think he kept trying with that same core and that same formula, but guys like Mike Witt and, you know, just like suffered ratings collapses. Right. And so the team just progressively got worse until he finally decided to pull the plug. And I must say, I mean, for what it's worth, I like what the guy's doing. Like, like you were talking about people's drafts or like, uh, for example, Charlie and Brooklyn Tim, you know, entirely building around just the starting rotation. But if you look at this guy, he's a little more balanced, and I tend to like that a little bit more balanced approach. So, you know, he he took Sheffield, right? I mean, he didn't have to take Sheffield, but he took Sheffield in the draft. He also he, he did take a starter in, in Eric Hansen. So, and I think Hansen was really an excellent pick for where he was. Uh, well, I guess he was taking fifth. That's not he wasn't taken late, but but to be the fourth overall starter adds to twenty one is virtually all the way cooked you know like that that's a pretty good draft pick you know so Mm -hmm. so yeah i like what he's doing i mean his current team isn't good i have his starters as the worst yeah that's right i have he has the worst starters in the league and the second worst pitching overall he did try to improve his bullpen but then bad luck smith is out right i think smith is a really good closer but he's he's out for like you know more than half the season i think so so, so I think he's doing the right thing and he, he's building and taking a more balanced approach and his system. Let's see, do I have it here? His system is number two, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, he's added some good pieces too. Like he got Melito Perez in the trade and he's not developed at all, but you know, five years from now or four years from now, he could be a very good starting pitcher as well. So, yeah, so I think he's doing the right thing. It's just going to take time for his, uh, for his moves to pay off, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think Hanson might even come up this year. He's building the offense around Kruk and Gaetti. So, and then Sheffield, and I thought Hal Morris was a pretty good pick as well. So I, he's moving in the right direction. And then he's got Dibble closing, who is already a 9.85 and his potential yes. is 10.95. That's yeah. going to be interesting. If he yeah. becomes 10.95, that sounds pretty dominant. Mm-hmm. I love Chicago's draft. Um, I think it's great when you get so he got a starter, an outfielder, a reliever, and a first yep. base and a first baseman. So you, there you go: infield, outfield, start, reliever. It's just like cover yeah. your bases, a little bit of everything. Dibble yeah. is our it could be the top, maybe one of the top three relievers. We'll see. I mean, only five control, but um, uh, he's going to be dominant. And we should point out: so he had three of the first eight picks. He are he has. He's got three first round picks next year, uh, including Havana's and Washington's. So, um, so he's looking at, um, and next year's draft, by the way, is even, it's uh, one of these Uber drafts like we had a few years ago. So he's going to be adding a couple really, a few really, really dominant pieces next year. So look out for this team. I would say in about three years, they're going to be really, really competitive. All right, so moving on to number 13 on our list is Montreal. 66 and 96 last year. They had quite a fall. They were the last two years they were over 500 just out of the playoff zone, but then they had a big collapse last year. And it looks like he's only added a couple players this year. Chris Carpenter, uh, who we got in the draft. Uh, he did get Harold Baines from Washington, I think. Although I believe Harold Baines is kind of just a 
a shadow of his former self. So um, they were 12th in batting, 10th in pitching. And Glenn, you have them 13th this year. So, right. I mean, he's 13th, so he's not going to compete this year in really any way, shape, or form. But he does have really good pieces. It seems like he's trying to build around elite contact and also elite stuff. So, like, whereas, like, I don't care about stuff and I don't care as much about contact. I just want walks and donks. He, he's clearly doing the opposite thing because... He has Biff Roberts and nine contact, Lonnie Smith, nine contact, Ruben Sierra, eight, Don Slot, eight. So half of his lineup is eight or higher contact, right? So that's what he's after. And then his best pitcher, Floyd Yeomans, is a nine stuff. So so I think that's like what his game is. Oh, and his best pitching prospect, we just established, Kurt Schilling, nine stuff, right? So to me, he's going he's going for elite contact and, and suppressed base hits. And I think that that'll certainly – that could work. It's just – uh it's not going to really, it's not going to work this year. And he has a good closer also awesome mocker. He has a lefty closer who's just 26. So, so again, he has a lot of really good pieces, but, um, but after, you know, basically jettisoning half his team in trades last year, he's, he's still in the rebuilding stage. I had him neck to neck with Brooklyn. I'm not sure Brooklyn's actually going to come in last. So I think he's got a couple of good pieces. Uh, and Glenn's observation is on the, on the dot. Um, I think it's interesting that with Schilling, he he kind of broke his mold. He likes to take guys that are pretty close yeah. to their potential, right, and are sort of sure fires. And I think this was a, a great pick. I mean, I think eventually, if you want to, you know, build back from from kind of the bottom, you've got to have a couple of home runs, right? And drafting guys like Bonilla, <laughs> you know, drafted Bonilla at seven. 777. Seven. Now he's a 656. Six, so he's probably not going to be a viable long-term starter. But even if he reached his potential, I mean, he's, he can't give you the same bump as a Kurt Schilling can. So I, I like the, the move. And then the strategy, I think, is, is smart, right? We're all sort of doing the same mold. So I think anyone that breaks it is going to have some trading opportunities, right? To go get guys to leak undervalues. So I think that that's a good move. I mean, it's Early in the LA Outlaws kind of uh, career with me, I, I had some somewhat of a similar strategy where I didn't care about contact. I played bad defensive guys at key positions, and some <laughs> years it worked, some years it didn't. Yeah, so but I think it, it made yeah. the trade market for me much much easier. I could get guys everyone thought were like of no use because they didn't do the one thing everybody wanted them to do, but they did everything else. So I think this this could work out in the long run. To be fair, the game has Montreal picked 11th. They're actually tied for 10th um, and 6th in sixth in offense. So, um, And I kind of agree with that. If you look at his top five hitters, Bip Roberts, Lonnie Smith is number three hitter, Ruben Sierra, Don Slott, those four guys. Urbeck is like the outlier. I'm not sure Urbeck belongs like batting second, but, um, but this is a team that, I think they're going to score a fair amount of runs. They're far from being in the in the at the very bottom tier, but again, they're probably not going to contend. So they're probably right around seventy or seventy five wins, assuming that Joe doesn't make some some radical moves like early in the season as he's done in past years. All right, should we move on? Mm-hmm. Number twelve on our list is the Toronto Polar Bears. They were eleventh overall last year. 
a modest improvement. They won 73 games, eight more games than the year before. They were eighth in offense, next to worst in pitching, despite having Gooden. So that tells you how bad the rest of the staff is, right? Uh, you, you've got a 21 and eight pitcher with over 300 Ks as your ace, and you're the second worst pitching team. I don't have his pitching as being very good. I don't have, sorry, unfortunately, I don't have the comp to last year in front of me, but I mean, his pitching doesn't look that good. My sense is that it is a little bit better, though, because not only does he have Dwight Gooden, and he has Mario Soto, who I think he and I have traded back and forth multiple times. But the thing is, Mario Soto has, at the age of 30, cut several upgrades. And so he went from a 5.7618 guy when I had him and dumped him to now 6.8620 rated guy. So 686 is is a really good starter in our league. So so his pitching should actually be better than it was last year in my estimation. The problem that he has is that he plays in an extremely offensive park. And the other problem that he has is that he has I mean without a doubt he has the worst defense in the league. So and I think I said earlier, you know, there's like no sure way to sort of tank than to than to have a bad defense. Well, I mean, he's trying to win, but he has a horrific defense. So, for example, his catcher is a four. He's playing Ellis Burks in center. He's also a four. So if your catcher and your center fielder are fours and your shortstop is a six, that, that's not a good setup, right? So, and I think we've had this discussion before too. I've tried this approach where you just get K dogs, right? Like you get good and then, or or just a lot of high K pitchers, but I've just never seen it work in OTP. I, I don't know if it even works in real life, if you can get enough K's, but I've never seen anyone get enough K's to make up for statues on the park. Right. And I just feel like he has way too many statues. In an offensive park. Yeah. One odd thing I noticed about his, I'm clicking through his defense. Um, if you About half of his lineup, if you click on them, they he's got them slotted in a position. He's got a lot of guys that play multiple positions, but he's, yep. he's playing yep. them in their second or third best position. So <laughs> case in point, George Bell, not a great fielder to begin with. He's a five yep. in left field. He's got him yep. playing him right where he's a three. You know, so, so then you go to Palmero, he's got in left field. Well, Palmero is a good, a, a decent kind of average first baseman. He's a seven, yeah. but yeah. he hasn't playing him left where he's yeah. a five. So yeah. uh, Howard yeah. Johnson, uh, his best, not, again, not a good fielder to begin with. Yeah. He's only a five in left field, but oh, let's have him at third base where he's a three. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, maybe that's a case of Burks again. As you mentioned, he's a four in center. He's better suited for left or right field and maybe this is a matter of just one piece right if he just gets one good fielding center fielder then he can put burks on the corner he can put that but then he's got to figure out who who he keeps between palmero and bell you know maybe he trades one of those guys palmero and bell for a center fielder and that might solve things um but yeah it's kind of interesting he does have wally joiner who's probably by far the best player on the team other than gooden um so, you know, and he's got Mike, Michael Jackson, uh, really good um, uh, reliever who he's, he's got as his closer now. So he's got a few pieces, but um, yeah, there's still, he's just, oh, uh, still got a way to go. Well, we should say that his offense is exceptional. I have him with the second, well, no, not the second best. Yeah, I do. I have him with the second best lineup. I mean, 
So his offense is exceptional. He plays an extremely offensive park. So he, he could very well, I think we talked about this um, on the side, he could very well lead the league and run scored and be last and runs allowed. Like that wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. Yeah, that when I looked at this team, it was the offense. So yeah, the pitching from, you know, outside of Gooden and the closer is terrible. The defense is probably even worse. But fully cooked, a couple of these guys aren't, but fully cooked, the top six hitters, this is the lineup. Contact power. So nine contact, five power, leadoff hitter, eight contact, seven power, then nine contact, eight power, then eight contact, nine power, eight contact, seven power, and then six contact, eight power. That's the one through six. Like every guy is like seven or eight power or eight or nine contact or some combination of that. I mean, his whole, he, he may just turn every freaking game into such a run scoring affair. Your starter won't matter. It's just going to come down to who has better middle relief, which nobody in the league has great middle relief. And maybe you can just, you know, out hit everybody to 85 to 90 wins. And the offense is, is really, really good. Yeah. It's going to be a fun, fun team to watch. Um, uh, so, so you you guys know the, uh, the old Braves, uh, Milwaukee Braves, I think it was spawn saying pray for rain. <laughs> so for these guys, it's good and, Pray for snow, pray for snow, pray for snow. <laughs> and then if you could manage to get like engineer some, maybe they need like a reverse dome, create snow, and then the game gets canceled. There you maybe, go. So maybe that's, maybe that's what, the what do you, what do you think of this for Toronto? So he's got three pitchers, I think with 10 stamina, one with nine, go to a four man rotation, just get yeah. good and out there more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to overburden that arm? You know what I mean? For a team that's not, he's not contending yet. And you're talking about probably the best pitcher in the league, like a generational talent. And you want to actually put that much of a work burden on him. It says he's durable, but you know, that can change if he pitches. Like he's already led the league in innings three of the last four years, uh, 267 last year. Um, I think that's a viable approach if he gets if he had a, maybe a couple more starters, but I wouldn't I wouldn't risk that myself unless I was actually close to contending. I mean, got to get the innings out of Gooden before the cocaine gets here. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that to me that's so risky. The fact that he's already got a thousand innings by the age of twenty two that that's not I mean honestly that's not good, right? There, there mm-hmm. is a there is a mileage meter in OTP. And so it's not that that's not good. So I would have them like, you know, six man rotation until Palmero yeah, yeah, develops. I was just, I was just and when Palmero that. develops, Maybe then not. all of a sudden I switch back to five. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. So we have Toronto at number 12. I have not been uh, mentioning the in-game ratings. I guess we can, um, we can, Actually, this is a good time to introduce that because the game somehow has Toronto number six and making the playoffs. So we'll talk about this. There were a couple of huge anomalies, huge differences between Glenn's ratings and the BNN ratings uh, and Toronto probably being uh, one of the biggest ones because, again, Glenn had them at 12. The game had them at number six. So, again, maybe the game was going off of maybe the game was assuming a four man rotation or it's looking at the offense um more than the defense or whatever but let's move on number 11 on the list is havana havana last year was 
77 and 85. Uh, again, this is an 84 expansion team. They've improved every year. I think last year, the big jump was in the pitching. He moved from 12th to eighth in pitching. Um, but he's had some disappointments there. Mark Langston, who looked like he was going to be the franchise ace for a long time, was 10 and 19, 475. And frankly, that's pretty much where his ratings are. I think he, like, he, uh, yes, he underperformed, but uh, he's already, he's moved Lacoste to be the ace this year. Um, other than that, obviously Cal Daniels winning the MVP and getting that custom Jersey. That was pretty epic. Uh, that yeah. 50, <laughs> That's the highlight of the year right there. That was yeah. the highlight of the year, man. And yeah. that gave me some yeah. ideas too. So, um, it lands Parrish his number four hitter, 30 home runs, 88, but he only had two guys with 30 home runs last year. And then the power kind of drops off. So, uh, Glenn, you have Havana at 11th. Last year they were 10th, so they're pretty much treading water. Um, what, where, where do you see them going this year? You know, the problem is he's he's in the, the best division, or anyway, what I think is the best division anyway. So <clears throat> he's in he's in what I think is the best division. So even though Lance puts out a good team and a competitive team, and he has some phenomenal pieces, he just doesn't have enough, right? And so. He, he might someday or he might soon even, but, but he just doesn't really have it right now. I mean, then the main weakness that I see, like the, the area where he scores the lowest is, is in pitching. It's like, and his starters just aren't as good as your typical Lancey starters. Almost every guy has, or he has three guys at 18. Then all of a sudden camp is a 20 and the cause is a 20. So he has, and again, that's not, you know, that's, that's okay. Right. But I mean, most people's starters or most people's yeah top two starters are like 22, 21, or, or, or some of the guys are, you know, are, are even much higher. So, so, so I'd say he's really deficient in starters. His closer is fine, but, um, and then, oh, he lost one of his, uh, you know, another good young starter, a guy I traded him several seasons ago was uh, Mark Davis and, and he's out for like half a season or more. So, so he's, he's pitching, uh yeah he's pitching poor but i i like again parts of his lineup i like so much he uh, he's also going for this like high contact approach so eisenreich seitzer i've tried to trade for seitzer like you know three times a year since the day he drafted him you know so that's just an as an elite obp third baseman he has cal daniels obviously the mvp parish and elite catcher mac uh, you know, arguably or, or not fully cooked yet, but he's going to be an elite center fielder. So, so I feel like the top five or six and top five in his lineup are just awesome. But after that, you're kind of like, eh, you know, the rest of the guys are just okay. So, so like I say, I feel like his team is good. Actually, it's pretty good, but it's deficient for the league he's in. Did I just hear you say that Lance should quit the league and join a different league? <laughs> <laughs> One, uh, one could take it. One could take division. it as such. Yeah, one could yeah, 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 yeah. So, Pete, what do you have on Havana? Yeah, Havana's biggest problem is the division that it's in. So, the first five teams we covered are in two of the other divisions. So we haven't, <laughs> this is the first team we're covering in this division, and and we haven't covered one yet in my division, which I think is pretty balanced when we get to yeah. them. So, I I think the goal this year for Havana should be to to get the best deal possible for Lance Parrish. I think he's he's not going to make it through the rebuild, and he's still very valuable um, because the other pieces are, I mean, Cal Daniels, Mac, a couple of those guys that he has are are really good in their early twenties or mid twenties at latest, like Seitzer. 
So he's got four or five guys that are going to be the future. And with the loaded draft coming up, I would perish and give this another couple of years. By then, maybe, you know, St. Louis, Washington, Atlanta get a little bit older. And that, that may be the right time to make a run at it. This team, I don't think, can hang with those three. So the thing that concerns me about Havana, so I mentioned uh, earlier that the lower-ranked teams tend to have the higher-ranked farm systems. Havana is actually the one outlier. They're the only team that is in the um, – they're 11th. We have them picked to come in 11th. Their farm system is 13th. So he's got Ken Hill, Lenny Harris. It, Ken Hill is number 17. I thought he he was a decent pick, but he's literally – at the he's he has one – of the top 89 prospects. So that, that doesn't bode well. So I think I agree with Pete. He's got, if he's gonna, if he's gonna do a rebuild, he just doesn't have the, he's got to generate some, some value somehow. And the best way to do that again, barring a trade of Cal Daniels, which is probably not going to happen since as someone mentioned, you got the custom Jersey. He's not going to trade him now. So, <laughs> um, so let's just hope that he doesn't get a Lance Parrish Jersey. Uh, because I think you're right. That's the the other guy he could trade. I think maybe is Langston because you know he's still he's an eight six five. He's um, he's he's got demoted a bit last year. He's just not really performing to what he gave up more home runs than any other pitcher last year. Thirty eight home runs, four point seven five ERA. But you know he's an extreme fly ball pitcher. He would I think this guy would work in some other teams. So that's another guy he could possibly trade Langston and and perish and then um you know he he needs help at shortstop and first base and just filling in filling in the minor system but again that always worries me when i see a team that's kind of low in both the current and the and the potential rankings and havana is is that team this year okay let's move on pete alluded to the pacific division kind of the up and rising the up and coming division it looks like seattle is Glenn's pick to come in uh, 10th. The game has, the BNN ratings have Seattle coming in fourth and winning the Pacific Division. So this wow. is quite interesting. Yeah, this is quite interesting. This is the one division. Um, so the in-game rating. So obviously the Gulf has three really good teams, St. Louis, Atlanta, and uh, and Washington. Um, the the Lakes division is pretty weak, but and Detroit is kind of the consensus. Um, there's only one consensus pick to win the division, and that is Detroit, by the way, between when I say consensus, it's the BNN and, and Glenn's ratings. Um, and the Pacific is all mixed up because the game has Seattle winning division, San Francisco second, and LA third. And we'll get to those teams later, but Glenn has... Seattle coming in last in this division. So that's quite a shift from first to last in the division. So um, so let's talk a little bit about Seattle. I, one argument for, for them being as highly ranked as they are, they do have kind of an elite offense. If you look at them, they were fifth in runs last year, but they were second the two years before. I think one of these years he had like, didn't he have like four of the top five hitters? That's he right. had like yeah. a bunch of guys mm-hmm. hitting 340 and over. Shelby, right. Upshaw, um, and uh, I think Willie McGee was up there. So, McGee, so maybe yeah. maybe the game is assuming that these guys, some of these guys had some off years and they're going to bounce back. But um, but again, third worst pitching. The the wild, he's got two wild cards. He's got Larry Durker as his yeah. ace, who hasn't thrown a pitch 
in 15 months. And he's got the rookie Doug Drayback. So if those, if Durker and Drayback pitch well, then, you know, these guys do have a shot at the playoffs, but so Glenn, tell us by the ratings, why you have them 10th overall and last in the Pacific. So this is a big discrepancy and it's because I count every stat the same equal weighting, but his team is heavily in kind of, maybe it's like the Brooklyn example from earlier or from seasons ago where he's super focused on contact and a ballpark that promotes contact. Well, his prototypical guy is Willie McGee, nine contact, three power, four I. So to my way of scoring like a nine, three, four, like I, I don't like that guy. I, I prefer like five, nine, nine Ken Phelps. Right. But here's nine, three, four. So I don't score that guy very highly, but he could, you know, or, or a season ago, right. In 86, he put up 800 or 900 OPS because he hit like 380 or 360 or something like that. Right. So, so if he hits 360 again, then yeah, the guy's off to the races and he plays in a park. It's like 110% average. So, so McGee, Guillen, Harold Reynolds, like everybody he has, Chris Brown, though Chris Brown is also has some power and some eye, but a lot of his guys are just pure contact and the rest of the stats don't even matter. And even the catcher, remember he just traded for Harper, same thing. Harper's like eight, three, three or eight, three, four. So, so he he's entirely built around one stat. And guys that build for one stat, I don't. My system doesn't like so. So, so Glenn, here's a question for you. you yeah. Uh, when you add the stats, you do contact power I. Yep. Right. That's it. So, yep, so, that's it. so you missed the gap power. So I think this was the thing with with uh, when Lance was in Chicago. Yeah. He had yeah, a bunch yeah, of gap yeah. power guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that and that we they and that was invisible in your system. Yeah. Because you weren't yep. counting it. So check out <laughs> Willie McGee last year. His gap power is only seven. But the dude led the league in triples. Guess how many triples he had? Um, Twenty something, right? So you no, would think twenty-one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So actually, it made me back up. What yeah. is a typical number of triples to lead the league in triples? Like I'm going to guess 10, 10 yeah. 12, 15, right? Yeah, twelve. Yeah. Try this yeah. on. Yeah. Twenty-five triples. <laughs> All right. I told you. I so, was watching yeah. that dude. So twenty-five nuts. triples. So this guy has twenty-five triples. He's generated seventy-five total bases just from triples. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and yeah. by the way, 65 stolen bases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're not counting that at all in your system. So That's that right. Might, that That's might right. be one of the things. By the way, his war last year was 7.2, just off the charts. Well, actually, that's a good point. So actually, no, that was, you're talking about 86. So what's interesting yeah. about, okay, so what's interesting is, yeah, okay, yeah. So last year, he only played 90 games. So that's interesting. So he must have been injured last year. Maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got hurt. Okay. Okay. So there you go. So maybe a full season of McGee at the 900 OPS seven war level. Yeah, sure. I mean, why not? Give me a seven war player at any position and you know, the rest of your team's going to benefit. Right. So, yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, uh, you know, like I, I'm taking shots in the, I mean, again, my system has flaws and, and it could be that the Brooklyn, you know, high contact play in a pure contact park is the exact same effect that's going on here. And the other thing is, so we started by talking about his offense, but dude, his pitching, he that's added Durker. Yeah, he added Durker and he added Drebeck. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but I talked to him last year. Don Robinson, there was something wrong 
long. Like he somehow he kept his pitch count at like his spring training pitch count for like the first half of the season. So it's like, so the guy, like he, so in effect, he had like half a Don Robinson. So it's almost like he got yeah. three new starters that added to 20. 150 innings and 33 Yeah, starts. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous, right? So, so yes, I could be wrong. I could make a case for him to, to go up to standing. But I'm just telling you my system, you know, I don't count. If you, if you don't walk and you don't hit for power, even though you've just demonstrated that you can get there with, you know, gap power. But if you don't walk and you don't hit dongs, I don't like you. That's pretty much it. Uh, I think Seattle, I had him as a pitching story. I, I, I agree with, with Glenn. Like, it's hard to make a living just off of, of uh, contact. Um, and as you said, Willie McGee's gap power isn't actually that great. So that, those 25 triples to me were an outlier. I don't think he's going to do that every year. But the pitching is ridiculous. Like, assuming Durker is not hurt, even if Durker's hurt, forget Durker for a second. Robinson and Drayback are legit 2-3. And... A lot of the teams when I was reviewing them, the one thing I was really surprised at is how weak pitching has gotten in the in the UL. Like you get to pitchers three, four, five, very rarely anyone's above 18, 19. Just four and five are both 20 rated pitchers. I mean, th- this may be one of the better rotations. Now, his park is going to screw up some of their stats. So the end of the year, they may not look like one of the best rotations. But you put this rotation in a pitching park, they could be the number one rotation in the league. I don't have as much faith in the offense. I think it's Shelby and then a bunch of guys that hit singles and doubles, which they'll go off some games and score you a bunch of runs, but I don't know how consistent that's going to be. But the pitching will get them through. Yeah, these guys, a bunch of guys that only get a hit one third of the time. Like that's, you know, what good is that? <laughs> uh, that was that was a couple of years back. By the way, first of all, I'm going to first, that the Willie McGee stat, obviously I used to have already corrected that. That was, 86 that was two years ago the 25 triples but it just jumped out at me glenn so i i'm just poking through this bullpen like this it's got luis de leon willie hernandez yeah, yeah. uh jeff pico who he drafted yeah. first first round thanks pico yeah yeah, yeah. in there um yeah. where where does seattle rank in uh bullpen i have him tied for the best bullpen uh with who wow with st louis wow okay so there you go so i mean that so yeah, I think it comes down to Durker and Drebeck, and they're going to score runs. They're going to give the starters the lead, and then you're handing the ball to the one of the top two bullpens. So yeah, I I would argue that the that this team's probably going to finish somewhere between the two predictions, so between fourth and tenth. It seems like they if they catch some breaks, and like if McGee stays healthy and their offense bounces back they could be right there in the mix but they'll be on i would say they're they're a fringe contender if you if we could coin a term all right speaking of fringe contenders that was technically by the way we had seattle in our third tier which is supposedly non-contenders so i guess that's an argument that they are a fringe contender because yeah 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 they're they're not quite in the same category as the next six teams that we'll talk about the first of which is san francisco uh and san francisco of course made the playoffs two years ago that Cinderella year when they improved by 22 games last year, they regressed by 17 games, mostly by the way, most that mostly revolved around the pitching. He got some career years. I remember Rick Honeycutt was awesome that year. Um, 
his pitching has gone from 10th to second and now back to seventh last year. So Glenn, you've got them ranked number ninth. Tell us about San Francisco. So yeah, his pitching, he does have comparatively poor starters. He, he is like a lot of people. He has like a good one, a good two. And then as, uh, as Pete was saying, you know, it drops off after that. So, but, but I mean, he does have a good bullpen. So again, back to this thing about he has a great closer and a great setup guy. So, um, and none of those is John Franco, who's unfortunately been wiped out by downgrades. Speaking of wiped out by downgrades, I mean, Strawberry has collapsed and that, that's just a, that's a disaster. I've never seen like a position player, you know, 25, 26, 27 years old go from, you know, 21 rated to like 15 or whatever. That's just unheard of. So, so that's horrible luck, but outside oh and he also had uh pedro guerrero right that was his pick that also collapsed mm-hmm. but pedro never did get to be fully cooked and then collapse like as in the case of strawberry but in any event his his lineup is better actually than i think um his lineup i think is a little bit better than we tend to associate with the jeff team you know i think historically san francisco is like the lowest obp team or one of the lowest obp teams in the league but now he has like Akendo, Butler, Grace, like Larkin, you know, 14, you know, eight contact six I or like however you get to 14. That's kind of like my threshold for if you're going to be in my lineup, I want you to add to 14. Well, dude, the top half of his lineup all adds to 14. And then, you you know, you have Deer, who's a 20 rated, you know, decent power. Also seven I Steinbach is a good catcher. So I feel like his his team actually – I mean, again, it's it's improved from last year, ratings-wise. And and I think uh, one another reason for that also is his defense is really good. He's also put a premium on defense. So one thing about – and we'll talk about this when we get to Denver and L.A. Like, your guys' division is like, for somehow it turned into a bunch of glove hounds. Like, three of the, whatever, four best defensive teams or five best defensive teams are in your division, and San Francisco is one of those. Yeah, I think – you know, DeLeon actually has had some downgrades. That's what's making some of the, the pitching worse. So Rio yeah. is still good, but DeLeon's been downgraded to decent number two, probably very good number three. Um, not much coming up in the minors. I think Devon White's probably one of the better prospects in his minors. I think Mark Grace, hands down, rookie of the year award, right? I'm not even sure who's going to be competing with him. But, I mean, he's a tremendous ad. Right, nine contact, eight gap, five power, seven eye, nine avoiding. K. I mean, he just, he's good in everything, and then he plays ridiculous defense on top of it. So, depending on how those young pitchers that got drafted ahead of him develop, I, he could even turn out to be the best in this draft class. So, I, I think going in the right direction. Um, I don't know what his minors is ranked, but I just looking, just staring at them. Nobody jumped out at me as anyone all that spectacular they're so ninth. the next question is just yeah, ninth okay so they're kind of yeah so i mean the next question is going to be how does san fran get to the next level so it's probably either trade some future picks and fill in some of the gaps maybe another starter um or you know, i wouldn't trade any of the guys in his lineup they're still young and good so it's probably trade future picks and start filling in the gaps yeah, I thought his draft was excellent. It's a classic Jeff draft where he never. I think San Francisco is the only team that has never, ever, ever traded a draft pick. So it, it's it's you know you look at his draft. It's always exactly however many rounds there are. That's how it's always 
five picks in five rounds and they're his own picks. But just like the Larkin pick a few years ago, the Grace pick was a classic Jeff pick of like, okay, it's it's fifth pick, you're up. And it's this perfect convergence of the best player available, <laughs> exactly fitting, you know, the yeah. peg fitting the hole. Oh, I need a first baseman. I guess I'll take Mark Grace, um, yeah. who dropped to five, right? So, um, yeah, I think this team is definitely uh, they'll they'll be in the hunt again. It's gonna it's gonna take some that the offense has got to produce right um, for this team to. They were fifteenth in runs last year. That's not gonna cut it with a average or slightly above average pitching. Okay, number eight on the list is Denver. They've moved up quite a bit in the rankings. I will say from my own perspective, this was the most active I've been in an offseason since I've taken over this team. Um, I've just Here's the list of the players that have come in. Sixto Lescano, Rick Russell, Will Clark, Mike Mason, Sal Bando, Steve Kemp. Um, and then it goes down from there. Rick Peters, Julio Cruz, John Martin, Dennis... Uh, Leonard and basically at the cost of my entire farm system. So Glenn, tell us about Denver and what has them ranked number eight overall. Well, I mean, it's a pretty solid team. Your, your starting pitchers are much better than in the past because you added Russell and Mason. I like Mason a lot. I mean, a lefty five, eight, seven, you know, 20 something, uh, 28, I guess, he's, you know, yeah, 28, still young. So so, um, so I like your rotation has improved a lot. Your bullpen, by virtue of draft picks, has also improved. This Houston or uh, Houston guy is good. Use is finally fully cooked. Martin and Leonard are serviceable. I mean, I get those are your emergency, you know, starters that they add to twenty. So, so I feel like you you've done a you know much better job putting together a pitching staff, and and your defense is also as I was saying, you know, your defense is superb except for san francisco and la it's like you've got the best defense so um and, and you know and i think your lineup is also quite a bit now nah, your lineup's okay yeah your lineup isn't yeah yeah your lineup didn't get that much better and i think even though Sixto is quite good in polonia i think he caught an upgrade to contact he looks sweet right so so you've got some sweet guys at the top, but it kind of falls off pretty quick after that. Yeah, yeah, that's why I think I, I graded you down on Averos. Javier is actually, you know, really good when you add his mm -hmm. his glove in. But um, you know, Karkovice is you know, again defensively is really good, as we said, but offensively not. Ozzy Smith, I think, has taken some downgrades. He's still amazing with the glove. But offensively, he's not. So, so it's it's interesting that just like your whole division has basically turned into like leather, right? It's just like we're just gonna be super hard to score on and try and win that way. So, so we'll see, man. So I had you as the best up the middle defense, right? Between Javier Karkovice, Ozzy Smith, and Tony Fernandez, best up the middle defense, excellent rotation. I think the whole Denver story is going to come down to whether the old guys can stay on the field. Right? You've got Russell, I think he's, what, 38, if I remember right. Griesleben is mid-30s. Wayne Simpson is late 30s. So a couple of these guys. And then Sixto is, is not, no, oh, he's 33. He's actually not as young as I thought, but I know he tends to get injured. So I think the, the injury game is going to be the, the Denver story this year. But you know, the, the guys in the starting rotation on day one, I don't see a reason why they couldn't win the division, you know, similar with Seattle and um, I think probably Seattle and Denver, I, I see as 
best chances to win the division uh, or compete with LA. Uh, but I think that's going to be the stories. Yeah, my I I was pretty excited with my off season. Like this is the most that I've kind of wheeled and dealed in a while. Um, and it, you know, I think we mentioned a couple years ago. My my objective was just to get to that number one on the uh, prospect rankings. Um, and, you know, I had Caminiti and Maddox and all these guys. And I look now, and I'm now 15th. I've basically spent. I blew my wad basically on I, all my prospects. It's funny because when I put together the um, the preview, like the lineups and stuff, I'm like, oh, I remember that guy. Like, oh, this it, <laughs> nice to see this guy's doing well. Oh, wait a minute, like Tartable is a classic example, right? Like, oh wait, he's on Manhattan now, and like, like literally almost every team in the league has a guy who's doing really well now. Who like Kevin Mitchell on on St. Louis, right? Um, uh, Willie McGee on Seattle, like all these guys. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, well, was it worth it? Right. Cause a lot, of, it always feels like oh, the guys that you trade away turn out to be studs and the guys that you trade for turn out to be duds. So we shall see. Um, but I have, I have almost no capital left. I traded Kevin Mitchell, Vince Coleman, Chris Welsh. I didn't really want to do this, but then once the moment, once I got Russell and once I got, Lascano, it was like, all right, I'm all in now. So I got to like try to do all I can to win now. My pl plan originally was to actually start contending first before I doubled down. But obviously, I've kind of doubled down now and we'll see what happens. But um, I think you guys are right. It comes down to a couple of key guys, Russell and Lascano, obviously the two big names, the two big acquisitions. If they get hurt, and by the way, Lascano is already hurt. He's going to miss the first three weeks. Um, you know, if I can get two thirds of a season out of those two guys, then I'll have a shot. But uh, otherwise, um, I feel like this team might just finish just outside of the top six. All right, let's move on to number seven, the Washington Monuments, last year's champions. They squeaked into the playoffs last year and then went on to win the title. They've made some big moves. They've added Tim Raines, Teddy Higuera, Cecil Fielder, John Candelaria, so they're definitely they're not just sitting on their on their laurels. There it looks like they're trying to upgrade almost across the board. Well, I mean, so like you said, he's his relative rank is the same, but that doesn't mean that his team is the same, right? So, and the other thing to remember is, I, I mean, it's all about if you just all you have to do is qualify, right? And then it becomes a short series game, and in a short series, as we've just seen. Uh, in fact, I think the last two times he made the playoffs, or anyway, last year and the first time he made the playoffs in 84, I think he pushed LA to like seven games or something, right? Like, didn't he like make a big mm -hmm. run in 84? So, so when he gets in, he's lethal and he's lethal because he has elite starters. I actually think Saberhagen might be the best pitcher in the entire league. So there's a statement for you. And then he's backed by Higuera, maybe the best left-handed starter in the league. So, so his starters are elite. I mean, Beatty's a 20. After that, it kind of, well, let's see. Yeah, yeah, Bannister and Tibbs aren't great. But but again, in a short series, who cares, right? In a short series, the vast majority of his innings are going to be thrown by Saberhagen, Higuera, and at worst, Beatty. And I think Beatty was the World Series MVP, so he's clearly doing something right, you know? So, yeah, so his team is really very good. It's just that 
as you say, you know, other teams have improved as well. So his relative rank hasn't really improved. And again, he's not like, maybe he's not totally built for, you know, regular season dominance, just because as we say, you know, his four and five starters are just okay. But you would hate to play this guy in a short series. And I speak from experience there. I haven't finishing in front of Atlanta. So the only team that I think can push St. Louis in that division you know, over a full season. So I guess Atlanta rated out higher, but I agree. Saberhagen might be the best righty, might be the best overall pitcher. Um, the defense is, is solid where it needs to be, right? Templeton is good. Barfield is good. Gedman is good. Sachs is poor in almost all facets of the game. So yeah. he's the one weak link, but you know, that offense will score. You got Reigns and Boggs, one, two. So you've got two guys that can get on base. And you got Winfield, Gedman, Barfield behind them. All three of them can hit. And then you've got uh what was like and then you've got Fielder. So I mean yeah. you go pretty deep on the offense. The pitching is deep. The bullpen is good closer. I don't know if the other guys are shut down necessarily. So maybe that's the one area of weakness. But I mean, this team to me should have no problems competing again. I agree. I think uh, Higuera is a huge pickup as a, I mean, this guy would probably be an ace on most teams and here he is sitting behind Saberhagen. That's got to be the most dominant one too, right? Saberhagen, Higuera. I can't think of another. Higuera is probably the best number two pitcher in the league. And if Saberhagen, like Glenn said, if he's not the best, he's a, a close second, a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, to me, the big upgrade is, so this out, the outfield last year, he had Baines in left and Ellis Valentine in right for most of the year. So now he has Tim Raines and, and Dave Winfield. So um, that's huge going from Baines to Raines and Valentine to Winfield. And then Gedman, one of the best catchers in the league. Um, Fielder, he's not quite there yet. I mean, he's got seven power. He's six contact, six eye. So he's going to have like a, you know, maybe a 320 OBP or whatever. But still, you're going to get like 20, maybe 20 home runs from your number six hitter from a team that was already, uh, you know, pretty good. Last year, he was only 10th in runs scored, which is surprising to me, um, but obviously third in pitching. So if that, you know, 92 wins got in fifth place last year, we're, if you assume the pitching is still going to be in the top three or top four and, and the hitting is going to improve, then there's no reason this team can't make a run for the playoffs. I think Washington Atlanta is going to be a fascinating race because this whole division is interesting. Uh, well, except Havana, but, um, the top three are are super fascinating and and just seeing the arc of Atlanta and Washington uh, to see these two teams both kind of rise at the same time and to kind of battle each other for jockeying for position, but kind of also behind St. Louis at the same time. It's, it's, it's definitely an interesting division. Probably worth pointing out. He plays in the most extreme. I, I think it's correct that he plays in the most extreme pitcher park. So, so as you're saying yes. that, uh, yeah. If he, if he was third or fourth and runs allowed last year, he, he'll be better this year, arguably, with Higuera. All right, let's move on. So we're technically into the top six now, which is the playoff zone, but we're still also in our second tier that we're calling the, the contenders. So next up is Manhattan. Manhattan did make the playoffs last year. I believe they won the division. They, yeah, won, yeah, yeah. they won the Atlantic by three games over Boston. So it was kind of a close finish there. It came down to the end. They were sixth in offense fifth in pitching. They've had a, quite a few changes as well. They offloaded Mickey Rivers, Dillard, the catcher Dave Engel, um, and they've added Gary Carter. That was the biggest addition. 
And then Chris Sabo, who was their first round pick, is starting starting at third base, batting third. Sabo might be the only guy that could give Mark Grace a run for his money. I have Manhattan number six, but but he um, he benefits a lot from leverage on his park. Like his team is perfectly built to his park, so his park massively favors right-handed hitters. And so if you look at right-handed power hitter, so if you look at his team, right, like almost everybody's right-handed with the exception of one guy. So seven of his eight starters are right-handed and seven of eight, you know, um, yeah. I mean, virtually everybody except for Fletcher has no power, but everybody else is like six, seven power, you know, so Sabo isn't quite there yet. He has seven potential power, but you get the idea. So, so like, unlike any other team, he's, he's built for his park. And then his pitching staff is entirely right-handed because, again, he wants to have you bat from the left side and, you know, and have his park work against you. So so, so even though his ratings total isn't um, that high, he's number six by ratings total, I think that's also been true. Again, if you have the list in front of you historically, I think I've always counted him around five or six, but his final performance rank has been a little bit higher, and I think that's probably why he gets leverage on his park and he also has very good up the middle defense not the best because again there's some just elite defensive teams out there but you don't have to be the best right you just need to have like you know good is good enough to help your to help your pitchers and so you know he's got guys that are like eight and nine up the middle at every position and then he adds gary carter who's a 10 who's a 10 catcher. I traded for Carter last year, fully intending to re-sign him, but he wanted like six and a half million dollars. And I just, I couldn't do that. And indeed he signed for seven for multiple years. So I just, I couldn't do it, you know, so more power to him. So his team's going to be quite good. I mean, I don't know really what more there, you know, what's to say his team's going to be very good. I just ratings wise, as I said, he's not elite. Like some of the other guys I have ahead of him, which are like, you know, category leaders. He doesn't lead in any category. He's just very strong in every category. Yeah. I mean, the, the team is built to a certain formula. It's worked for them, but it's, you know, one through five starters are all that typical four, eight, eight, four, eight, nine type of guys, right? No stuff, but elite movement and control backed up by defense. I think the offense very heavily rides on Sandberg, which I don't mind if I had Sandberg, I don't mind riding riding on his back. But to, to me, that that's the offense. The rest of the offense to me has huge holes in it. So when Sandberg doesn't put up a 9, 10, 11 war, I don't know if the offense is going to look good enough. What about Scott Fletcher? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, he's eight contact, which is elite, but he's two power, six eye. Like that's not elite he's good well, he's got his war the last two seasons were 7.1 and 7.3 so I, well obviously that's counting some of the defense as well yeah yeah right. he's, he's an elite defensive yeah. player his ops last year yeah, was yeah. 871 so like like i would love to have fletcher like i'll trade eric if you're listening ozzy smith for scott <laughs> fletcher straight up we'll do it right now yeah it, it could be I, I don't know if he's going to repeat those numbers every time i think it definitely helps to have sandberg hitting behind you somewhere in the lineup. So we'll see. I mean, this is kind of that formula of Craig Robinson runs the offense and then everything else is very nicely balanced. I'm surprised Ellis Valentine is only 32 because it feels like he's been around forever. Um, (laughs) Yeah, an entire career in Seattle. Yeah, Yeah. I would have guessed 36 maybe. I'm thinking, okay, this is one of those guys who's like a free agent that doesn't, 
you know, falls into the auction round and someone signs them almost like a pity bid, but yeah. it's only 32 years old. And, you know, it's four point signed for 4.4 million. That's the other thing is like, I mean, there's two things about Eric. He's not afraid to spend money and he doesn't care at all about his farm system, right? He's all about let's trade picks, trade mm -hmm. picks and go after the, you know, the piece that he needs. And, you know, it's obviously worked for him because this team has been in the mix for, you know, there were a couple of years, maybe was it 82, 80, 81, 82, a couple of years there where he was kind of like after the massive rebuild, after the dynasty, where he kind of fell out. But but he was very quickly right back in the mix. And, you know, here they are once again, poised to, if not win the division, uh, make a run for it and, and hit the playoffs. And speaking of which, by Glenn's rating, at least, uh, we have a team ahead of them in the Atlantic division, and that would be Boston. The game has Boston at 13th. Last year, they won 90 games. They just missed the playoffs. It was a huge improvement for the Federals. They improved by 18 games. They're fourth in offense, sixth in pitching. And uh, and they've added some pieces this year. So, uh, so, Glenn, tell us about Boston. Well, here we should just say, like, so his he made this massive jump last year. That was his first year with Cal Ripken. If you look at Washington, what was the year they made the jump? 84, 85. That was their first season with Cal Ripken. So just to like support this idea that to tank, you have to have a horrible defense. And the moment you're ready to win, to turn it around, you, you know, you ditch your shitty shortstop and you throw in just a pure glove guy and like your entire team improves. And so, and, and so it's much the same this year, right? He has a Cal Ripken shortstop. He has Tony Pena, who's an elite defensive catcher. So uh, his center fielder is not an elite defensively, but Mill Thompson does have nine. Yeah, in fact, he is. He has he has nine range. His positional rating is only a seven, but but I think a guy with nine range in center field is is elite. So. So, yeah, so to me, his team is is very good. And that's the reason why they, they come out just a little bit ahead of Manhattan. So like I was saying, Manhattan is like strong in every dimension, but he doesn't really have that many guys or that many areas where you're like, he's super elite, like in that, that spider web diagram, you know, like he, he fills out like a lot of the diagram, but he doesn't like touch the, you know, he doesn't make it all the way to the edge on any dimension, but Boston does make it to the edge because they have Beard and Clemens who are just like two phenomenal starters. Right. And um, his, his Pena is a decent closer, you know, he has Jim Barr, but who's not, really good because the stuff is so poor but bar as a reliever is going to be better than bar as a starter right he doesn't have to throw as many innings guys don't see him as much and that low stuff doesn't hurt as much and he traded for farmer farmer of course is getting older and he's not you know the guy that la had you know whatever five years ago and i had two years ago but he still adds to 22 so so i think his bullpen also is good and then and then he has all that going for him you know, behind an offense of James and Bonds and Puckett and Thompson, plus Tuffle and Howe are serviceable. So, again, when you just look at it, his his pitching is among the best. His lineup is solid. His defense isn't – it's not like, you know, leading the league. But, again, up the middle, it's very strong. So, I, I just – to me, he's going to compete, again, 100%, you know? Yeah, I mean, this may be the best one to – you know, we just said Washington with um, Higuera and Saberhagen. I think Clemens and Beard can compete with those two. 
Yeah, this would be my other vote for best one, two, and then three through five are pretty good. I, I'm going to give the the nod for the jump to Bonds becoming elite, not necessarily Ripken. I'm sure Ripken didn't hurt, but you know, Bonds went from rookie year with like a two point something war to elite thousand plus OPS. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that probably helped a little bit. Um, I, I think the team is going to come down to actually. Howell and Tuffle last year had career years. If that's what they are and now they've developed into that, I, I think Boston's going to win the division. If they sort of regress to the mean, Boston's going to be a great team, but then it's going to be a real dogfight uh, with Manhattan. But if those two guys repeat again, I, I don't see how Manhattan edges out Boston this year. So I agree with Pete partly on the one-two thing with Beard and Clemens. If you look at their ratings – nine seven nine and then eight seven seven then yeah by ratings they're at least as good as washington the problem is that clemens despite very high ratings just hasn't quite he's not quite there yet right so at 3.6 he was 380 the year before 363 last year yeah his strikeouts are there but he's not really He's by no means elite in terms of era or whip or anything and which is scary because he's still putting up four or five war the last two years. So um, I would say if Clemens, uh, if if he pitches to his ratings, his ERA should be below 250. He should have 20 wins. I mean, this is a, a, a 90 win team. And with a guy like Clemens on a 90 win team, he should be winning 20 games. He was 12 and 15. So I don't even know how that happens. How do you have a losing record when you're Roger Clemens? On a, on a team that's 18 games over 500, right? So that's kind of a puzzle to me. But it's also scary because if he does, if if he pitches to his ratings then and then uh, and then Beard, who's led the league in strikeouts per nine, um, yeah, it, that's, to me, that's the real wild card. I agree, Tuffle, Tuffle was a huge um, 110 RBIs just out of nowhere last year. His OPS jumped like 150 points, so that I, that looks like an anomaly. Um, but again, Bonds Bonds is Bonds is Bonds. He's gonna do well. Puckett had a great kind of a breakout year last year as well. But the difference is that he's probably that that seems sustainable to me. Um, so yeah, this is a very scary team. It's gonna be a very close finish. I think that Boston Manhattan race is gonna be other. Other than the Pacific race, which could be Pacific is looking kind of like a free for all, but that Manhattan Boston race is going to be super interesting. And again, as in, as last year, probably only one of the two will make the playoffs. All right, let's move on. We're up to the last of our kind of like middle zone contender zone, and that's Atlanta, a team that tied for third overall last year with 93 wins. They were second in offense, 13th in pitching. So this has been an all offensive team in one of the, in the, uh, in the number one offensive ballpark, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so Glenn, you have them picked to come in fourth overall, which makes them second in the Gulf. So tell us about the Hilltoppers. Yeah. I mean, they're so good. It's, I mean, his lineup is so good. It's disgusting. Right. So again, like by my metrics, he has guys like Phelps, you know, five nine nine. Like I, I love those kind of guys. So uh, Eric Davis might be the best player in the league, or at least he's in the conversation. I guess he doesn't 
you know, we'd looked at Bonds. I guess Bonds is technically the highest rated guy, but Eric Davis has to be in the mix there. Of course, you got Gwen McReynolds. We established, right? We did the research and we figured that that was the best all time. UL outfield. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you want? You know, the only thing that like grades him down at all is that his third baseman isn't very good. Um, Tim Wallach isn't very good. And Barra is an elite, you know, very good, very good defensive shortstop, but you know, offensively is not that. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. Like I'm just making up things. In fact, I, yeah, I'm not, I can't criticize the guy at all, but if I were going to say there's one thing that he could improve on, you know, maybe you say, well, the back of his rotation isn't very good because he has like Odell Jones, who's not good. But, you know, like kind of like ace up your uh, what's it called? Ace up the old sleeve. Is he uh, he signed Ruthven, Dick Ruthven, one of my old guys, but I couldn't resign him because he had this horrible injury. But if he comes back healthy and that's not guaranteed, if he comes back healthy, he's going to add a 20 rated starter like halfway through the year. So to go with, you know, Fernando and Viola and Goose. So. Yeah. So, I mean, his team is superb, you know, and he could, yeah, it's entirely possible that he could pass me this year. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about this guy. It's just a really good team. What do do you think, Pete? I I think Washington and St. Louis are still better. I I think the the rotation is just not, not good enough. So Fernando is great. Viola beside, you know, besides the fact he's 20 rated, he's, never put up great stats, right? Last year, 1.2 war, year before 1.5, year before 0.4. Like, his career started off pretty well and then, like, trickled down. Goose has been downgraded. And then you got the Jones brothers at four and five, neither of which are good. The pen is great. So if you can hold the lead till the pen gets involved, you're in good shape. And then the offense is heavily relying on Gwynn and Davis, which, again, just like Sandberg, it's okay to – heavily rely on guys that are reliable. Um, but I mean, it really does rotate around them. Like Bump Willis has gotten older. Uh, Ken Phelps is, is good, but he lacks contact. So if the guys behind him aren't as good, he doesn't get as much protection. Uh, Big Mac is, we'll see. And then you've got Brian Harper, Tim Wall. Well, Harper's gone now. So you've got Stanley, who we haven't seen for a full season, and then Wallach Barra. So even the lineup, I think, is very heavily weighted around two great hitters, right? 10 plus war last year for both of them. Um, but I think their pitching is going to hold them back. I think Washington, St. Louis are going to be too strong. Now they may still make the playoffs just like last year. That may come down to the, what the Boston Manhattan race ends up looking like. So I think, you know, between those five teams, Boston, Manhattan, St. Louis, Washington, and Atlanta, you once again get at least four playoff teams. I think the other two divisions just give you the division winners. So, Pete, do you think uh, Kevin McReynolds uh, was a blip last year? 120 RBIs, 4.5 war. Um, you know, he was part of that whole best outfield ever. But his ratings are 7.675. So, does do you think he'll regress back to like a 800, 830 OPS this year? I, I think he will. I mean, he's very solid. But I, I, I don't think he's what he was last year. Not by ratings anyway. And, you know, Atlanta has the park effects helping him. So, I mean, his numbers will be beyond his ratings. But I think last year just seemed a little too good for Kevin McReynolds. And that's from a Mets fan. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Fascinating. There's there's a couple of really fascinating races. Obviously, the golf, the top three in the golf is always a dog, cat, and bird fight. But in a sense, it's it's the last year anyway. All three have made the playoffs, so it's kind of like this false race for for getting the getting the buy or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, Atlanta and Washington, I think, are are going to be neck and neck. And you know, we'll see we'll see when we get to St. Louis. Uh, they're coming up. Um, the, the, I think both Washington and Atlanta are good enough that they are within striking distance, right? If St. Louis has a slump or some key injuries, then and Atlanta and Washington get hot. Um, you know, you're talking about teams that won 93 and 92 games last year um, and were 14 games out in their division. So um, they're, it, it, it'll definitely be an interesting race again this year. All right, so we're up to the top three. These are the three. Uh, again, when we drew that, we draw the line here for so for full disclosure. When we drew the line between kind of elite teams, you know, these three tiers that turned then turn into four tiers, or three tiers in the basement, whatever you want to call it. Um, we drew the line between three and four because the gap between three and four was it was basically the, just the biggest gap between two teams. So. That gets us to Detroit at number three. Um, Detroit was Detroit's a team, an interesting team because they keep winning their division, but it's also one of the weaker divisions in the league. And they've been in this kind of like slow, inexorable decline, but they haven't declined enough to like not make the playoffs, right? Like they only won 88 games last year. I think last year, the first time a team finished. Uh, they were seventh overall, but they still made the playoffs because they they won that really weak division with 88 wins. Last year he was, I believe, third and yep, I have him at third and runs scored and ninth and runs allowed. And so the thing is, I actually think his pitching is better. Some guys mm-hmm. have developed, and some guys he acquired in trade. He's going to get a full season from. So, um, for example, Sanderson, right? He acquired Sanderson like halfway through last year. So he's going to get a full season of a 22-rated starter. And I don't know if these other guys – or like Matthews, he, he's developed a little bit more. So Bankhead, he's developed. So so, so to me, his starters are, are quite good. They're not as good as like, you know, like, the, like he doesn't have like the Boston Big Two, you know, or the Washington Big Two, but just one to five he's got all the guys one to five. And so as we talked about earlier, a lot of teams, you can find one, two, or even three serviceable starters, but then it falls off a cliff. Well, he doesn't have that phenomenon. And then he has a very good closer and a very good setup guy. So I just feel like his pitching is just solid. He's just solid all around. And, um, and of course his lineup, it's, you know, he's Ricky actually got an upgrade. So instead of eight, contact eight i ricky's now eight contact nine i so you know so i just feel like his his team is really good um but so what's just interesting is because and pete did the same thing it's because he plays in such a poor division i mean with all due respect to the other teams because he plays in such a poor division he's basically had the luxury to just like rebuild as he goes right and so, you know, he traded for Chili Davis. Now Chili Davis is hitting leadoff. He traded for Fred McGriff. Now, this is odd, right? Fred McGriff is not anywhere remotely near being fully cooked. But once again, I mean, it's not in that division. It's not going to hurt him to get Fred McGriff's, McGriff some playing time. So, so add it all up. I just think he has a very good team. It's solid all around, excellent defensively. It does everything he needs to do well or well enough. 
that um, he'll certainly be in the in the playoffs again. Yeah. So along with Seattle, this was the other team I had it, pitching wise, as Glenn said, they go five deep, right? And I don't know what happened to the UL. I remember more teams being able to go five deep, and now it's really just two or three that can do it. So I mean, any mm-hmm. day you face Detroit, you're going to face a quality starter. Uh, the lineup has gotten weaker over the years, but the top four are still amazing. Davis, Henderson, Whitaker, Trammell. Horner keeps taking downgrades, though. I think he's starting to become a concern if I'm Detroit. He's only 29, but now he's at a 686. Yeah, 686. I mean, for a long time, he was at eight contact, nine power. So he's starting to decline fast for some reason. Uh, And then after Horner, the bottom three are a little bit weak on offense. So he will have the luxury of he can win 85 games and win the division or 95 games and win the division. It won't matter. Uh, But come playoff time, I'll be interested to see how he does because he may be lacking a little bit on the star power. Glenn, where do you have Detroit's bullpen? They're good, but I have them behind, like behind Atlanta, behind LA, behind St. Louis, and behind Seattle. So what's that make them, fifth or sixth? Yeah. It's interesting. He's got uh, Tippy Martinez, his longtime closer. He's moved to the setup role. Yep. And then this guy, Tim Burke, um, he's moved him as the closer. So that's interesting. He's a 688, um, but he hasn't really pitched that great lately. And then this other guy, Todd Froworth, I don't even remember where this guy came from. He was a second round pick uh, last year. This guy looks amazing, 687. Um, yep. And so he's yep. like the number three reliever. So he's got those top three are are, are really strong. It gets it drops off quite a bit after that. The minus but, has nothing coming up. So this is the team he's going to battle with. Yep. Yep. Okay. That brings us to the top two St. Louis Maroons last year, 106 wins. I think you tied the franchise record and then uh, made it to the world <laughs> series, but uh, didn't quite turn out the way you wanted. Um, but yeah. last year, First in hitting, second in pitching. Um, once again, a classic Glenn team ranking in the top two in both categories. Uh, so tell us about the Maroons and where they stack up ratings-wise. Shocker. It's my system. So my team scores very well. Like I have among the best bullpens, not because I have like an incredible bullpen. I mean, Sambito is 34, but he, he adds a 23. Icorn adds a 22. So those back two are comparable to anybody else's back too. And then every other guy I have in the bullpen either adds a 21 or 20. So so my bullpen solid. Same thing with the starters. They all are 21 or 20. Um, and the lineup is the same lineup. Oh, no, it's not the same lineup. I traded. I traded six. So, yes. You got Vince Coleman. It's instead. not the same lineup. I traded uh, from last year. I traded Hojo for Pasqua, and then I traded uh, – I traded Sixto for Mitchell and Coleman because Mitchell to me looks like a younger Sixto, assuming he gets there, and that's not guaranteed. But Mitchell looks to me like a he could develop into a quite a good player. And then Coleman, I'm trying to get more contact and more speed. My you know pure power and walks approach um, is good, but it clearly falls down to last hurdle. So, so that's what I was trying to do there. It's obviously a great team, right? So let's talk a little bit more about potential problems. The the starting uh, pitching didn't look as good to me as the last few years. Yeah. So Schmidt's obviously great. Antiveris, I think you're going to – either Antiveris or Whitson has to have a good year. 
Right. Yeah. So your number two used to be somebody else. I feel like. I feel like you used to have a good one, two, three, and then four yeah. and five were weaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, Ruthven, uh, Ruthven, and Figueroa. Oh, right? those both those guys. Ah, uh, that's off. it. Yeah, that's it. That's that's why. So yeah, the the starting pitching looked different to me this year than in the past. So I would say that that's going to be the one to watch. Is can the two and three pitchers come up with good years, and then order is thirty five, right? So that's probably the other thing to watch. Thirty five at catchers starting to get up there in age and he is a key part of the defense and the offense right i mean he's a really good defensive catcher and then he hits fifth so but barring that i mean there are no weaknesses to the team hit for average hit for power and walk i mean last year what top two in in hitting and pitching so yeah the, the team's got no weaknesses besides age and we'll see what the uh the new two and three starters do all right, let's move on. Our final team, the Los Angeles Outlaws. Um, Pete's team's coming off back-to-back 100-win seasons. I think you never won 100 games until 86, right? So um, LA is kind of like peaking right now, it seems like. Um, last year, they were seventh in offense, which was kind of down for them. And obviously, the number one pitching team for like four or five years in a row. So Glenn, tell us about LA. Well, dude, this is amazing. Talk about teams that have changed. So LA, no more Durker, no more Russell. All of a sudden, you do not have the highest rated pitching. I wish I had my stats going back. I don't know when the last time that was. Your bullpen's still elite. But the thing is, you have the best defense by a wide margin. So, dude, that is a nuts. Like, what a transformation. So I'd love to hear about your story about that, Pete. So so I actually looked at the 1985 team before we got on because that was the world series team and i mean almost no one's left right the only the only guy from the starting rotation left is darling and darling was like a rookie back then he didn't pitch a full season and then uh got and lee smith were both like in the pen and early in their careers and then from the lineup it's brunanski who i think was also a rookie that year and eddie murray so basically i flipped the team at this point and every year I was coming in saying, we're so old, we're so old, and finally we're not old. So we don't look as good on the rating side, but at least not every other guy is 35 and up, which is nice. <laughs> so, and then, you know, I've, I've sort of started building the team for uh, next year as well, or the next few years. So I've rebuilt the farm system a little bit, you know, with what I could. I, I don't usually have very good picks. I feel like the farm system is getting back to healthy. So I've got some pieces in case I get close to a run. So, but yeah, it's built now more on defense and pitching instead of a little bit more balanced like I used to be. All right. We have any final thoughts on LA? I mean, Pete's turned over his whole team. I think that's his theme. And I think he's right. I mean, it's, it's shocking to see the change. It's just interesting, right? He went from, the very best starting pitching to like good starting pitching. But I mean, think of how many teams we talked about, like, Oh, this guy's top two or top three starters are amazing. LA it's not the same, right? I mean, got and Ruffin, I guess are exceptional in a sense, but they're not like comparable to the 24, 25, 26 rated starters that some guys have. Right. So. Yeah. But he's got uh, the stadium effect though. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess my big shot, that's a good point, but I would still bet money. Oh, that's true. He does have the best defense. I was going to say, I would bet money that this is the year 
LA does not have the number one pitching team. Like I, I would probably say Washington for the number one pitching team, but, but again, Pete's defense is like so much better than every other team. I don't know. What do you think, Pete? I mean, is that your theory, right? Just the gloves are good I, enough to get it done. So here's the prop. So LA the last seven years is averaging, I think 96 or 97 wins. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to get good picks. I can't go get a Kurt Schilling. Right. So I can't replace guys like Durker and Russell with Saber Hagen or anyone of that caliber. So I just don't have those strings to pull. So it's come down to can I draft someone second round or late first that could be a good starter and put enough defense or or hitting around them to make him a great starter in my park. Right. Yeah. So that's where guys like Darling and Ruffin end up. They're all second round picks. Swindell, second round pick, right? Like, I'm just not going to get a top tier starter. Um, And then it's just, I'm always willing to trade for whatever the market is allowing at the time. So if it's offense, I'll trade for offense. For some reason, it happened to be pitching, uh, hitting, sorry, defense this time around. So I was able to get Yount and Hubbard and Van Slyke. So I don't know, I rebuilt in that direction because that's what the market allows. I just, you know. I don't have the picks to trade, so I got to figure out other things. And then, you know, I put enough into the the minor leagues that hopefully some of those guys develop, right? So now I've got Bell and Caminiti and a couple of uh, relievers, so it gives me some more assets to trade. But it just becomes a big game of, you know, shuffling things around until you find something that works. Yeah, L.A. is the only team other than Boston the only team that's in the top five in both predictions and in the farm systems LA now has the fifth best farm system Jay Bell Caminiti Robbie Thompson um, all in the top 30 Rick Reed is up there so that's scary too is that you've somehow managed a way you're kind of the, the opposite of Manhattan Manhattan is always competitive but never has a farm system and LA always seems a way to have both things going at the same time. Which team do you think is the biggest threat to LA in the Pacific? And how much of a threat are they realistically? I, I think Seattle is is the biggest threat just because we saw that offense a couple of years ago explode and, and compete for the division. And now it's a scary pitching team. So both work at the same time. They win the division. If one or the other works, they compete. And then Denver's got all the right pieces right now. It just allows to work at once. I think San Fran is still a couple pieces away, but you saw, I mean, just getting on base and, and good defense, was it two years ago, they really made a run at it. So I wouldn't count them out, but I would say Seattle is the scariest. And then I, I think Denver is an 80-something win team as well. So it'll be up for grabs. What is your percentage chance of LA winning the division? I think it's 50-50. And again, you don't have Durker and Russell, so it isn't the same. That's what I'm saying. Like it, That part is different. Usually, your starters are like light years ahead of everyone else's starters, but now they're not, right? Now they're just really good, but really good starters with an incredible gloves behind them and an excellent bullpen. That's why I don't think you're going to lead. I think I say, I think this is the year that you no longer lead the league and runs allowed. Like you no longer lead the league in defense, but you're going to be two or three at worst. Right. So if you're six or seven and runs scored and two and runs allowed, 
I mean, come on, bro. You're one of the he drops from 101 to like 95 wins, maybe. Yeah, 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 I think so. I mean, it's hard for me to see. Like you said, I could create a scenario where Seattle jumps up. I, I don't think it could be Denver because I don't have Denver's starters as good. And San Francisco starters are definitely aren't good enough, right? So that's why I don't think it's not San Francisco. It's probably not Denver. But, you know, in Seattle, like you said, I don't, I'm not enamored of his lineup. Like, I, you know, I have Denver's lineup higher and San Francisco's lineup higher. But again, that's just all because of that, that contact, you know, the way I treat, you know, the other stats. So, so we know that like, if Seattle does put up, you know, whatever, what would you say? Four guys in the top five in batting. If he does that again, yeah. yeah then, okay. He could win the division because now he has Durker. So if you have like a stud like that, I mean, that does help. And then we've established that he has, you know, a full season of Robinson, not a, not a janky Robinson. He's a full season of Robinson and Trey Mack. So I don't know, I'm trying, I'm starting to talk myself into Seattle because he also has a very good bullpen, or at least an exceptional closer. So yeah, I could maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe I could talk myself into Seattle, but, but the ratings discrepancy is so wide by my count. I don't, I still have LA a radical favorite to win the division. Last year, there were almost no division races except for the Boston-Manhattan race. St. Louis won by 13, Detroit won by 15, and LA won by 20. It was just a matter of, you know, Atlanta-Washington and then who was going to win the, the Atlantic. So I feel it feels like this year that the golf should be closer. I don't know. No, I, don't know I think so. Can, can yeah. St. Louis keep winning 106 games a year? It seems unlikely. So it, it, feels like, yeah. it feels like the golf should be a little bit closer and the Pacific, but you know, we're talking about a 20 game margin. So that, that takes a lot to close a 20 game margin And the Denver was 23 back and San Francisco's 33. So it feels like it would take a huge leap by multiple teams and a big collapse for LA for that Pacific race to be, you know, more interesting where there's two or three yeah. teams jockeying for position. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly looks like it's heading in that direction. Yeah. And having said that, I mean, the playoff race, like you said, the divisional races, I don't know, still maybe not. Right. But the playoff race, though, could be really good because, again, like I have the top seven, L.A., St. Louis, Detroit, Atlanta, Boston, Manhattan, Washington. Right. Yeah. So that's the same as last year, plus Boston, basically. Right. Yeah. So, so those seven are going to be very good again. But Detroit got better. San Francisco got better. And arguably Seattle got way better with Durker, right, right with right. Durker and Drabeck. So, so I mean, so think about that, right? I mean, like, I mean, the playoff race is going to be really, really good. I mean, potentially, right? That could be like, this could be like one of those things where it's like, you know, half the league is in contention. Well, yeah, half the league is going to be, half the league is going to be in contention for playoff spots, maybe 10 teams, you know? That could be quite exciting at the end of the year. Yeah. Do we want to make any playoff predictions? I mean, I've got, you know, Detroit winning that division pretty easily. I think LA makes it in is my hope. St. Louis, Washington, Boston, and I'll go Atlanta. I'll leave Manhattan out this year. Eric's won enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's phrase it this way. Of those top tier teams, which ones do we think are the best built for short series success. Like we've already talked about Washington, right? And they've actually demonstrated it. Uh, you know, Saber, Saber, and Higuera. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's, right? that's four wins yeah. in, in a seven game series right there. If they're on. right, Who else is in that category? 
So Boston's got that same formula with Clemens and Beard. Ah, interesting. Right, mm-hmm. right. The one, two, and then yep. hopefully that's enough. I mean, if Atlanta, Seattle gets there, yeah, yeah. Atlanta if Seattle too. gets there, yeah. yeah. If Seattle gets there, no one's going to want to play them, right? Yeah. So it's not yeah, Atlanta. I, because, I don't want to because Atlanta's number two is Viola, right? So they they probably have the weakest number yeah. two. So what's this is interesting because what we're kind of saying is like the formula for regular season, the formula for winning a hundred games in the regular season is having like five really good starters. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you got 106 wins, if, if your starting pitcher strength, let's say is spread amongst five pitchers, then you're somewhat at a disadvantage when you get to the short series. Right. Which is like, that's kind Correct. of what Glenn, Glenn's been arguing all along. So we're, I guess what we're saying is if Boston sneaks in, they they just aim for number six, and the same as what I mean. That's exactly what Washington did last year. They were the last yep, wild card, yep. right? Yep. Just squeak in, just qualify, and then let your dominant pitching take you through the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I I, I try to go at least three deep because your third starter does pitch. Yeah, right. So like, I got Ruff and Darling and and Got, and I don't mind throwing any of those three guys. So I, I I'm I don't mind a seven game series. I think that's where LA's been most effective right because i usually go three deep on the pitchers at least i'm probably not as good in like a five game series so i don't have the best one two anymore right so washington's number three is jim Beatty. he's pretty solid right yeah yeah boston's number three is tom candiotti he was 18 and 11 last year so both their number threes look pretty good detroit's greg matthews he was 17 and 11 but 3.88 St. Louis has Whitson, 14 and 7, 3.60. Yeah, he's a 21. So, yeah, I, I like my three. It's just I have to get to game. Yeah, I mean, again, I like my three guys are good, but they're just not, they're 21, 22, 21, right? Which is like, that's three really good starters. But, you know, again, when, when you make it to the playoffs, you're facing like, Durker, Russell, Saberhagen, Fernando, right? It's like, you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden 21, 22, that's great in the regular <laughs> season, but that's not good enough anymore, right? So, so that's, oh, I can, I can consistently get myself to the playoffs, but once I get there, all of a sudden I'm at a disadvantage. I, I tried to make that up by out slugging people, but, uh, you know, as we've seen, you right. just, You're it's right. really hard to slug against, you know, Saberhagen. And that, that's where I like, don't like the Seattle approach of pure, just pure contact. Cause yeah. there's been a couple of times in the playoffs, all I'm watching is pitch count. Yeah. Right. So I, I like the guys with that can walk. Yeah. I, there was a, the year I played, I think Hugh Glenn in the, in the world series where I was just watching Schmidt's pitch, pitch count. I'm like, if I yeah. can just yeah. survive to the seventh <laughs> inning and still yeah. be in this, Schmidt's going to have to leave. Yeah. yeah. And Ru- uh-huh. Russell and Durker don't. So then I've got you. Right. And and it was yeah. your pen that ultimately I, I beat. I knew I wasn't going to beat your starting starting uh, pitchers, but I just needed to knock them out. So lots of walks. I don't even mind striking out. Just I got to make you throw, you know, seven or eight pitches per batter. And I think, you know, the full contact approach doesn't allow for that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Right. I think walks. I, I think like I like to have like a combination of high I and high avoid K. To me, that's like just that's a really good combo because you're gonna like chew up other people's starters, right? 
I mean, I just think, I think that's just like, that's like the toughest out possible. I walk a lot and I don't strike out. Right. So if you look at my team, I have a ton of guys that fit that description, you know, Davis and Dykstra and, you know, you know guys like I'm just trying, even uh Porter, right. I'm, I'm trying to find guys that just consume a ton of pitches so I can get into your bullpen. And I think once it gets to the bullpens, I've invested so much now in my bullpen. I think I have an advantage again, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't always work. Right. I mean, Icorn can collapse like nobody's business, but in general, like, yeah, I mean, I feel like if I'm making you use up like your starter and I get into the middle, which again, in a, in a, in a regular season structure, right. Where I have more exposure to people's third and three, four, five starters and, and, and shitty bullpens or shitty middle bullpen. That, that's how you get to 106 wins. I mean, I don't think that's a secret, right? But as you say, the calculus is quite different in a short series. So, and I don't really know how to solve that. So I keep trying different things and we'll see. We'll see if it works this uh, year. Always yeah. planning for the last war, as we say. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm constantly, constantly yeah. trying to fix. Dude, I tried to fix. I spent like, was it last year or two years ago? Whatever it was, I lost to Eric. I spent the entire offseason trying to fix all the things. They're like, yeah. okay, I could beat Eric. And I never played him again in the series, right? I didn't, I didn't play yeah. him last year. So it's like, ah, I can't. Yeah, the Maginot, yeah, the Maginot line one year. That, <laughs> right. that didn't work out. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I tried shock and awe after that. Yep. That, didn't, that yep. didn't work. Yeah. Yep. That's right. So yeah. I'm looking at the World Series stats, like runs per game. Three of the four lowest scoring World Series have happened since 82. I don't know if that's like a, an overall trend or not, but it looks like yeah. pitching is becoming more important in these World Series. 82, Montreal gave up eight runs in five games. Montreal yeah. had that amazing run. Yeah. Detroit in 83 gave up four runs in four games, which is insane. That's the all-time record, 1.0 runs allowed. And then last year, Washington gave up 10 runs in six games. Beatty was the playoff MVP. It wasn't even one of his top two guys, right? So yeah, yeah. maybe that's the key is to have like a, a SP3 or SP4 just get really hot at the right time and dominate in the playoffs. Tommy Boggs was the MVP the year before, yeah. right? Like his yep, Tommy yep. Boggs. He was like Manhattan's yep. fourth best starter or something like that. So yeah, but he shut me out like two right. consecutive games. Yeah, yeah, was... yeah. So I don't know if there's a lesson to say. Again, these series are so short. It's like it's hard to like you're comparing 162 game season versus maybe at the longest like 13 or 14 games in the playoffs. So it's kind of hard to take. It's harder to take lessons away from them. You know what I'm saying? But again, yeah, of course. I guess if you're St. Louis and you're playing. um you're, you've played what, what, like fifty or fifty or sixty playoff games yeah. in the last six years. Then you've got a that's a big enough sample size where you can start to kind of like maybe take away some lessons. I think so, but like I said, I mean, I, I'm like I think you're correct. I'm basically always like correcting for the prior mistake, and so I don't know if that's you know if that really is the right way to do it. You know, I don't know. It's just hard. I mean, it's hard to make a good team right and to sustain it over time so like i saw this like what i think you know pete's always talking about what's the arbitrage opportunity or what's like you know you zig when everybody zags well my my zig was into guys that had three stamina and three pitches and added to 20 that everyone else calls like a middle reliever but i could turn into a viable starter right so so i think that was like a cheap easy way to make a a a good you know, serviceable pitching staff. But again, it, the deficiency, as I say, is when you run into, you know, Durker, Rushel, Gott, 
right? Durker, Russell, Got, Ojeda, Darling. You know what I mean? Like it's like in, in those type of series or Washington in those type of series. You know, I had, I had a sly, I made it this like sly little way to get to a hundred wins. <laughs> I'm bringing an underdog. I'm an underdog when it really matters. You know what I mean? Like, how do you figure that? So anyway, that's my trouble. Since we've expanded, the World Series winners have been second, 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 and sixth. So that's the key. Finish second overall. <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret. <laughs> All right. Any predictions on uh, Cy Young and uh, and MVP? I mean, it's not a prediction. Yeah, yeah. Brace That's... for Roy. Saberhagen. You're saying Saberhagen for the Cy. Bonds, Bonds MVP for the MVP and Mark Grace, Mark Grace for the rookie. Well, it's hard to deny that because I mean, Gooden might be the best pitcher, but he's in like a, he has a horrible defense in a in a very offensive park. Versus Washington gives you like an extreme pitcher's park. And he has, you know, requisite uh, all the necessary, you know, defensive dudes behind him. So, yeah, it's hard to look past Saberhagen. I mean, maybe it could be Higuera, right? Like maybe somebody on his own team because his park also punishes uh, right-handers a lot. So maybe Higuera could do it. But in general, yeah, I would I would think Saberhagen. Like you said, Grace. To me, that's like that's so obvious and so easy, right? I mean, the guy's amazing. And I just can't think of anybody else calling anybody else up that's going to be that good. I would say of the three awards, Grace is the biggest shoe-in for Rookie of the Year. I'm looking at Trammell. The guy's led the league in war three times, but he gets no love because I think the way the game picks the MVPs is actually historically accurate, where it's more on the power numbers, right? Home runs and RBIs are the most important things. So, you know, war wasn't really a thing. So I, I, I would argue Trammell's probably the best player in the league, but he'll never win an MVP. I would go with Bonds for MVP. That that makes sense to me. I do think I'll go with Gooden for Cy. He's Be just, careful with Russia. If he wins the Cy Young, you'll a lot of cash to him. I know. And I'm the one <laughs> who, who wrote that contract. So yeah. I know. So you get the inside joke. Glenn, he's got an $8 million bonus. If he Jesus Cy Christ, dude. No, no. It's, yeah, fun, yeah. It's, only, it's only $5 million. No. Are you sure it's only yeah. five? Psy bonus five million, one million for the All Star. Still, so, oh, okay. five's a yeah. lot. Yeah. Five's a lot. So I, so I remember the moment I traded for him. I'm like, I got to limit his pitches. He can't win the Psy Young. <laughs> he just has to be really good. That's right. awesome. And I did. I always had him at a, like a hundred pitch count because he couldn't yeah. win the Psy Young. Both Russell and Durker. This is the thing we haven't really touched on. Denver and Seattle, the the two contenders in the Pacific. Both of their aces are yeah. former the, the former LA one two guys. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, good times. All right, guys. So uh I guess we'll wrap it up here. Thanks for sticking with us so late, Pete. I know it's uh past that was fun. Here, so should we get Waller on? Should he should he Dude, be our next course. guest? Yeah. yeah, you've got I a mean, great I, voice I, for podcasting too. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, you win the league, you you get invited on the podcast. We haven't had him on yet, so maybe we'll do that next time. Yeah, we've already proven we don't need to do any preparation. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe we do. I mean, maybe that's what we've proven. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Every year we put in less preparation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But we still yeah. predict the right. So that's all right. Some, something. Show. 
right? We just have to stop admitting it. Oh, my eyes were half open when I did this. <laughs> Dude. All right. I'm going to leave that in for sure. I'm not going to edit that out. All right. All right. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. All right.